We are looking at the book of Romans, if you're visiting, and we're glad that you're here. The reason that we're studying the book of, uh, of Romans is because uh, it is Paul's great apologetic that sets the uniqueness of the Christian faith against all other religions and all other gospels that are counterfeits. Why is it unique? Why, why is the gospel, why is Christianity unique? It is because it teaches us that we're justified in space and time, not, not by what you do, but what God has done in space and time uh, 2,000 years ago. All other religions uh, give you good advice, and the gospel is good news that uh, he's done something for mankind who really doesn't like a whole lot of advice, right? And so this morning we come to uh, chapter 4. And I want us to see how uh, Paul contrasts, uh, teaches us the gospel by making a contrast between law or advice and God's provision, which is grace. Uh, the title of the sermon is The Power and the Impotence of the Law. I mean, the, power, the law has power, trust me, friends, whether you believe it or not. It has the power to condemn you. It is God's law, but it is impotent in anything that it can do for you. Only God can do that through Christ, and it's that gospel we preach. So come with me to Romans chapter 4, as Paul is trying to convince the Jews that the gospel is the historic faith. Verse 13 For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts, our lives. Lord, uh, both uh, the one speaking the gospel and those hearing the gospel need your grace. And so be with us this morning. Change lies through this good news. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. When I was a young boy on Saturday mornings, I would get up and there was a matinee at the morning matinee at the Carolina Theater. And I'd grab my friends and we'd all go around the neighborhood. We'd find six Coca-Cola bottle caps. And that was your payment to get into the, to the movie theater. You could go to the movie for uh, six Coca-Cola bottle caps. Now, uh, these movies were not, not exactly the greatest movies in the world. They were B-movies, which means bad. 
And so we would see uh, movies like Rectilicus or The Return of Godzilla again and again. But I remember one movie that I saw was pretty good. It was uh, Jason and the Argonauts, I think was the name of the movie. And in the movie, uh, Jason uh, was trying to get back home, trying to get back to the homeland, where, where he belonged, where he felt safe. Where, and, but in this journey, he had many trials. He had many tribulations. But one of them was he had to kill a dragon, and this dragon uh, had uh, three heads. And so he had to kill each one of those heads or, or else the dragon continued to live. And so, of course, uh, Jason did that because he was the good guy and he got home. Now, as we come to our text, I want us to think of Paul as a dragon slayer and that the dragon represents all false gospels. And when I say gospels, I mean gospels with a little g. And what are these gospels? I want you to think about it for a minute. Because, you know, even you as Christians, you fall right back to them. Uh, they are uh, the religions or the secular books or maybe even uh, some Christian books that tell us something uh, to this effect. Do this. Do this. And you'll live. Uh, do these things and your life will have meaning. Uh, you'll have success. You'll, you'll have purpose. Uh, do this and you'll have the path uh, of en- enlightenment. There are all kind of gospels that are out there. There's only one gospel. But these other gospels have a hook. And I want you to think about this. I want you to especially think about this if you're saying, well, I'm not a very religious person. Well, here's the hook. Um, you actually have to do what they say. You know, they give you advice as, as to what you do. But the hook inside it is when you start reading these books and you start trying uh, to do these things that they tell you to do, uh, you discover that they, they don't help you, those who give advice. They just tell you what you're supposed to do because they don't perform for you. You perform for them. You see? And uh, therefore, it goes something like this. Well, of course, Mr. Farnsworth, you're still having chaos in your time management because you're not doing the Franklin Day Timer exactly the way we trained you to do. Of course, Mr. Farnsworth, you're gaining weight again because you see on the South Beach diet, you cannot eat bread until phase three, and you're not even into phase two yet. Of course you can't please your father because you see he wanted you to be a doctor not an artist that's that's the hook you see and so they make all these promises but they don't perform for you and they you've discovered they don't really help don't you they don't really bring uh, life in, in your, in, to you. And in fact, what these gospels continue to do, they just keep on demanding. Well, great, Mr. Farnsworth, you look like you've lost some weight. You look like you're getting your uh, office in order, but now we need to work on your, ordering your private world. Or, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's all drive high, hybrid cars and eat, uh, uh, let's not eat so much salt. Or let's make sure that we have our children reading by the time they're three years old. 
Don't you see? And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Now, I'm going to tell you, I read an article this week. Uh, and maybe you read it that kind of confirms to me maybe why this is the problem, but one out of five Americans, they say, are depressed. And the younger you are, the more likely you are to be depressed. You know why? Because we're worn out. We're worn out because we're trying to do all these things that these gospels promise but cannot deliver. But here we have Paul in the book of Romans, and he is the champion of the gospel. It is the gospel according to Romans chapter 1, verse 2, the gospel of God. Why? Because it is not good news. I mean, it is not, it's not good advice. It's good news. In chapter 3 that we read a couple of weeks ago, Paul pro- tells us in the Old Testament why you shouldn't fall to all the good advice because he said there's none righteous. None. No, not one. There is none who does what is right. There is none who seeks after God. There's none righteous. Now, I know you've heard me uh, say this before, uh, but I, I think what the gospel is trying to tell you to do is to give up on your performance. To give up on all the other gospels. And you might go, well, doesn't the law tell us we're supposed to perform? Uh, well, that's later. That's Romans 6 and 7. But right now, what we need to understand is if you're seeking to find some kind of life in the merits of the law or the merits of being a good Christian or the merits of being a good Presbyterian or whatever it may be, it does not bring life. Some of y'all heard this phrase before, but let me tell you where it comes from. And I'll tell you the phrase. But uh, there was a man named Jack Miller who was a minister of the gospel. He was in the PCA. He was, uh, I think he might even be a theology professor. And, uh, but he didn't understand the gospel until he was 40 years old. And he was converted by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. All the stuff he had heard, he was changed by the gospel. And so he would always tell his congregation when they came to work, uh, came to worship, cheer up, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you feel bad about yourself? I have good news. You're worse than you think. How many of y'all really believe that? You come here, you're a pretty good Christian. You come in here and, you, and you, you've, you've had a good week. You've had, you've had quiet times this week or you gave to the poor or you did something with downtown ministries. And so we kind of come in a minute, we come into worship late. We come in drinking a Coke. We come in just sitting uh, here and, and uh, but we're not expectant to hear the good news Because, you see, the law has not done its work. You see, the good news are for those who go, Man, I thought I was was getting somewhere, but what I've discovered is I'm not getting anywhere. And so the good news is cheer up. You're worse than you think. But you can be loved more than you ever dared hope. Now, here's what Paul... well, Well, let me ask you before I say this. Do you believe that in your own life? Do you believe that your badness can never, ever outbad the goodness of God? The love of God? The mercy of God? I don't care what you did in 1978. 
I don't care what you did in 1989. I don't care what you did in 2010. It doesn't really matter what you do in Christ in the year 2012. Because you see, the good news is this, is that Christ has accomplished the work on our, path, on, on our behalf. Have you experienced that freedom? Let me tell you what kind of freedom it, it, it is. It is a freedom that instead of beating yourself up all the time and trying to be better, you're looking to Christ and therefore you're free to be a good husband. You're free to be a good wife. Not always demanding what you're supposed to get. You're free because you know that you're in Jesus Christ. You know you're free to give. You're free to participate. You're free to do things for other people. Why? Because you're not always being beaten up by the dragon of the works of the law. Now this is the dragon that I want to talk about has three heads. We've dealt with two and we're going to deal with the third one. We've got to slay this one too. Um, so let me put it in context. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul uh, says, hey, listen, hey, good news, there's a righteousness that comes from God. It, it, it's not one that you can establish for yourself. And then you go all the way to chapter 3, and we've already looked at chapter 3, don't have time to go back there. But in chapter 3, verse uh, 21, he says, but you, this righteousness that comes from God, it's, it's in Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in him. It's not of works. And so Paul takes that first dragon head and he takes his sword out and he sticks that in the dragon in the neck and it falls very clearly. And that's why he says, where's boasting then? There's no boasting if it's not by works. So then the Jews, as we come to our text today, in the last uh, few uh, weeks we've been looking at verses 1 through 17, they're going, but where do we fit in all this? We're the circumcised people of God. So Paul takes his sword back out. And he's got to go after that next dragon of those who identify and think that they have life because they're either Jewish or circumcised or because they're baptized or for whatever reason. And Paul takes that sword, uh, takes the sword and he takes that dragon head and he stabs that when we looked at that last week. Now what we've got to look at this week is that final head. <laughs> and the question ends up being, well then what about the law? What about the works of the law? And uh, Paul uh, wants to deal with that one this morning. And, uh, and here's how he's going to deal with it. And it's real clear. He's going to contrast um, law and faith, law and promise, and law and life. And he's going to go, it's not law. It's faith, it's promise, and it's life, okay? So the first thing to see is this. He makes a contrast between law and faith. Look at verse 13. Look there in your text. For if the promise to Abraham and his offspring uh, that would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It did not come through the law, but the righteousness of faith. They contrast between law and faith. It's not by law. It doesn't come through the righteousness of God. What does that mean? To, be, to have a relationship with God. It doesn't come through law. It comes through faith. Now, guys, now let's think about it this way. We, we, have a, we know this. Even if you're not a believer and you're here today, 
you know you should be right, more righteous. Let's put it another way. You know that you need to go back to Barnes & Noble and read another book. You need to be a better person than you are. There is this oughtness that we have about life. And uh, so we have a propensity to try to establish that righteousness on our own. To develop our performance record. In other words, it's going to, to bless you because of the things that you do. And it, and it would work something like this, even with Christians. Go, well, you know, um, I, I've been a good father. I've been a good husband. I, 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 you know, I'm providing for my family. Therefore, God ought to bless my business. My business shouldn't tank if I'm a righteous person because I'm doing what's right. Or maybe you go, well, uh, if I tithe, like Michael says, or if I give my money, then you know what? Then my retirement account should be, uh, it should be okay. And so we begin to look to those things that we do, and we begin to look at the law, and what does the law require? What do I need to be doing? And we completely move away from the contrast, which is faith. You begin to put your faith in your works. You begin to put your faith in being a good Christian or being a PCA minister or whatever it is you put your faith in. And that brings misery. And what the, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 13, friends, can I read this again? It does not come, this relationship, your life, the blessing of life, does not come through the law, but through faith. How many of us do that? We mingle works with faith, even as Christians. We, we, we put these two things together, and they're polar opposites, as we'll see here in, in just a minute. We, we don't think, well, it can't just be faith alone. It can't just be looking to Christ as, as he's lifted up. If I look to Christ, then I'll be saved. It just can't be that. It has to be something. And I'm telling you, over and over and over again, in churches uh, that once preached the gospel, works of the law come in. And one of the ways that you know that you're not looking to Christ in faith is because is you are tired, aren't you? You're weary. Trying to be good. But you see, even the Council of Trent, uh, which is the Roman Catholic Catechism, and I've mentioned this before, and I don't mean this to be pejorative whatsoever. I don't mean it this way because it reeks in evangelicalism and even within our Reformed tradition but it says, let him who believes that a man is justified through faith alone be accursed. Can I read that again? Well, actually it says it twice in the Council of Trent. Let him who believes a man is justified by faith alone be accursed. But is that what we believe? Yes, Christ died, but I need to prove somehow that I'm worthy of that death. And so what we begin to do is do the opposite of what this text does. We begin to mingle those two things together. And what our Reformed fathers would say, shall you mix your dastardly good deeds with the work of Christ? James Boyce on speaking uh, 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 to this text, he gives an illustration uh, about, about if you get on a train in Kansas... You can't go to New York and L.A. at the same time. It's a contradiction. You can't do that. It's one or the other. 
And so the gospel train of grace, you get on and it goes one way and it's through faith. It is not through works. Perhaps the best illustration I heard, uh, uh, read was Donald Gray Barnhouse. Uh, and he puts it this way, and this is a great way of putting it, uh, especially if, you, if you're not resting in the work of Christ by faith. It is sin. It's a great sin. And you're resting in the law. He puts it this way. He said, both the highest place and the lowest place in the continental United States is in California. Uh, you have uh, the highest mountain, which is Mount Whitney, and you have the lowest point in Death Valley. And then he then compared our lost estate to living in California and, and showing that it's impossible to get to another state by leaving the lowest point, uh, Death Valley, and making your rise and rise and rise, and you get to Mount Whitney, but you're still in the same state. You have to be transformed into another state. You're still in the same position. And works of the law, mingled with faith, is not the gospel. It is in faith that Christ changes our destiny. He puts us in a different place. He said, but I know that, Pastor. I understand that. Well, let's go to point two. Not only is there a contrast between law and faith, but another way he strikes at this is to put the contrast between law and promise. You can't have law and promise. Notice what he says, very clear in verse 14. For if the adherents of the law, who are to be heirs, are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. What is, what, here's what Paul is saying is this. Okay, in, 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 in this verse he's saying this. Okay, if righteousness were to come by the law, the law came some 430 years after God made a promise to Abraham. And the promise to Abraham was what we read this morning in Genesis chapter 12. And this is why it's so important to know the Bible. Because way before there was Moses, there was Abraham. Way before there were Ten Commandments, there was Abraham. And the promise was made to Abraham before there were Ten Commandments. And so what Paul is very clearly trying to say is, uh, okay, if we begin to move toward works, then what we've done is we've nullified. Listen, you have nullified God's faithful promise. You say, what is the purpose of the law? Well, Romans 7 tells us that later. I mean, isn't the law good? Of course the law is good. But the law is to show you your death. The law is to show you that all your good works are as filthy rags. The law is to show you that the only thing I can do is bring wrath. That's all I can do. I have no power to bring life. But you know what does bring life, friends? Is God's promise. Because God promised to Abraham 430 years that through your seed, all the nations would be blessed. So let me ask you this. Are you looking to Christ? Do you believe the promises of God? 
if you do, is that life beginning to be imparted into you? That you live by faith, not by works. You live by the promises of God rather than not believing His promises. Now, how, how many of us love God because of what He has done for us in Jesus Christ? Law doesn't make you love God, it doesn't. Huh? Can the law make you love? No, it can't make you love. The only thing the law can do is go, you know what, you better hope and pray that God is merciful and that God is the infinite God of love. You know, you really appreciate this. You'd have to go read the life of Abraham who didn't have the Ten Commandments. He loved God because God loved him. And where do we ultimately see how Abraham's different than us who already know who Jesus Christ is? And we know who the promised Messiah is. We've looked to him by faith. And yet, man, we're worried about our kids. We just fret over it. We, we worry about, man, if I, I, I know why my business is going bad because you know what? I lied to that guy. Or I know why this is happening because I haven't loved my wife the way I need, need to love my wife. And therefore, you're more concerned about whether you love your wife well so your life will go well versus loving your wife. It's, it, it, it means that you're not believing that God loves you, that he, he's made his promises to you. But where do we see it in the life of Abraham? Where do we see it in the life of Abraham? We see it ultimately in Genesis chapter 22 when he is willing to deliver up his own son. You know, that sounds crazy. Well, it might have sounded crazy to Abraham because God said, Abraham, through Isaac, is going to come the promised Messiah. And Abraham said, but wait a minute. If that's the case, then if I kill him, then you can't fulfill your own promises. But you get a hint of it in Genesis 22 because, you see, uh, before Abraham went up to Mount Moriah, uh, Abraham told the servants that they both would be back. Now, we find out later in Genesis chapter 22, I mean, in Hebrews chapter 11, what was going on in the mind of Abraham. You know what it says in, cha- in that chapter? Chapter 11, verse 7. It says, He embraced the promises of God. And what was the promise that he embraced? He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. There you have it. One law is believing the promises of God. This doesn't make sense. It's irrational. But you know what? He believed that God would raise him from the dead. But here's the difference, friends. God did not hold back his knife on his son. His son was crucified. And the judgment of God entered into his own son. And then Satan thinks, oh, it's done. I finally killed the promised seed. But God raises him from the dead for our justification. So you got the contrast between law and faith. You got the contrast between law and promise. Do you want to make the, the promise of God null and void what he promises in Jesus? Then one last thing is this. The contrast between law and life. Law doesn't bring life. Real clear here in our text. Look at at the text there. Look it down your bulletin. Verse 16. 
That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Law can't bring life. Law can only bring death. But in verse uh, 17, we see that in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, I want to make one more point, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. John Stott's a great theologian. He's He's an Anglican. He's still living. I think he's in his 90s now. And uh, he wrote a commentary on this, and he, uh, he, he makes a great point. He says, you know, Paul has used a, a historical argument that, uh, you know, Abraham was called before law, before circumcision. He gave that argument. And then he says he gave a, a, a linguistic argument as he compared words uh, like uh, law and grace, law and promise, faith and works, But he says in verse 16 and 17, he gives a theological argument as to why Abraham was justified not by works, but by faith. And his answer to that was, because in Abraham, that means all of us are God's people. Not the Jews who only, but Jews and Gentiles. So how did Jews become the people of God? By rejecting Judaism, which says that we're Jews because of what's marked in our flesh or because of our keeping of the law, and that true Jews are those who are in Abraham in the promised seed before there was ever law. So he goes on to say this. The law divides and the gospel unites. Y'all see that? Ah, oh, wow, we, we have the law. We, we're the people of God. But then just look among the Jews and see that in the New Testament of the Pharisees who thought, well, we're much better law keepers than these other Jews. Or come to churches, as it were, and, and we begin to judge one another that, oh, you know what, I, I go to Sunday night prayer meeting, which you should, by the way. It's called meeting the church. You should go, but if you don't go, Jesus loves you. Or, um, or you got a prayer meeting on Wednesday morning. I really think all you men ought to be with me. Uh, if you can. If you don't have a reason not to get out of the bed and come, you ought to come pray. You know what? God will work in your life. I believe that. But do we want to go, wow, so-and-so comes, and I'm going to have a better relationship with so-and-so because they come and the others stay in the bed? No. The law always divides. It never brings life. Do you understand that? But you see, in Christ, in Christ, he unites us. Why? Because he has risen from from the dead. He has conquered sin and death and the terrors of the law. And when we look to him simply by faith, we are united to each other and we're set free. That's unbelievable. The law brings division, but the gospel brings life. I know you've heard me quote this from Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he told, used to tell preachers, gentlemen, when you preach God's law, you preach it to kill 
Do not make it a manageable burden. What is the purpose of Mount Sinai? He who touches this mountain shall die. Why? Because the law brings wrath. That's the contrast. You want to keep the law? Here's what you get, wrath. But the law, God gives us Mount Sinai to take us to Mount Calvary to be at the foot of Jesus Christ to all who are broken, to all who need him. And his blood cleanses them from all sin. Do you know this Christ? Has he transformed your, your life to where you're no longer, you're, you're believing him, you're looking to him. You look this week and you go, wow, if I got what I deserved last week, I would get a lot, I'd get some terrible things. But you know what? I'm in Christ and I look to him. And he'll give me hope whether my business goes great or it doesn't go great. Whether my marriage turns around this week or next year or maybe it never does. You know what? I have Jesus Christ. And he has given me life. Well, I close with Jason and the Argonauts. Started with it. I'm going to close with it. And it just kind of coincidentally came up. And, and by the way, if you're a classics person, and I get this wrong, sorry, it's a good illustration. He still wanted to get home, and he fought the. He know he killed the. He killed the three-headed dragon. The gospel kills the three-headed dragon uh, if it's been killed for you, <laughs> okay. But but then he has this one last uh, danger. He has to go uh, in this ship through this channel, and then there were these. I think I'm going to say this right. The sirens, right? And the beautiful music of the sirens. And of course, the the goal was to crash them into the rocks. Uh, I read a little bit about sirens that actually tear people to pieces after they kind of lulled you to sleep. And so Jason was told by Sharon that you needed to take Orpheus with you to make sure that you made it home. And the reason that he needed to take Orpheus with him is because when the music of the sirens would begin to go, to, to begin to sing, and it was coursing the, the men away from their destination, Orpheus would pull out his lyre and he would play that lyre and the music of the lyre was greater than the music of the sirens. Sirens. Well, let me ask you this. And it took him safely home. There are a lot of, a lot of music going to tell you to come away from the gospel. But in Christ is the music of the gospel. I've said it before. You've heard the lyrics of the gospel. Have you heard the music? Which is simply looking to Christ. I pray you do that this morning. And know his peace. Let's pray. Father, we we have before us amazing, amazing words. That he who looks to Jesus Christ and rests in him alone has life and hope. And to look any other place is to deny the promises of God, the promises of God to make null and void what he has promised to those who simply by faith would look to Christ. And we thank you for the union that we who are believers in Christ have, not in the law, not in being reformed in Presbyterian, but through the blood of the beloved Savior and through his resurrection. So, Lord, we ask that you would make clear to us this beautiful gospel. And I ask it in your name. Amen.